Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast and it is presented by league apps and we have another great show jim mckeldry in four short years has put rutgers men's soccer on the map he has rutgers as a top four seed after a big win over Penn State on Tuesday. I had that call, and I'll have the call in two days when Rutgers takes on UCLA in a rematch of the epic 1990 National Championship game. The leading scorer in the country plays for Rutgers, M.D. Myers, a transfer from High Point. He's got 13 goals, did not score against Penn State, but he may score on Saturday against UCLA. Jim McKeldry and M.D. Myers kick off the show. Then we push to a true legend of the game. Just being named an honor award winner, he'll be recognized at the convention in January. The great Shellis Heinemann is on the show. We switch gears to the training ground, and we meet an incredible person. His name is Paul McVeigh. You'll love his story. He's an author. He is so inspirational, and he is part of our training ground, which is a new initiative created by United Soccer Coaches, led by Jeff Van Dusen and Dave Simeone and the gang. Another great guest on the training ground, it's Paul McVeigh. Then we switch to the NWSL. The championship game will be Saturday in primetime in D.C. It'll be Portland. It'll be Kansas City. On the Twitch call will be our very own Anna Witte, who filled in on podcast role last year. So Anna Witte will break down that championship game on Saturday. And then we end with the head coach of the Penn State men's soccer team, again, featured a couple days ago on the Big Ten Network. A great, great man, an excellent coach, and an even better person, Penn State's Jeff Cook. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gap. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. We open up this week's show with Jim McKeldry, the head coach of the Rutgers men's soccer team and his leading scorer and the leading scorer in the Big Ten, the transfer from High Point, M.D. Myers. Two nights ago, Rutgers was featured on the Big Ten Network against Penn State. I had that call with Patrick Duty, and that's part of the reason why Jeff Cook, the Penn State top man, is also 
on this week's show. And I do want to remind all of you that Rutgers will face UCLA this Saturday, 12 noon Eastern time. That's right. High noon on the Big Ten Network, a rematch of the 1990 epic championship game between Bob Riasso, Alexi Lalas, and Rutgers, and Ziggy Schmidt and their super talented UCLA team loaded with so many members that went on to do great things in the pros and great things for the U.S. national team. And with that, we welcome in first M.D. Myers, who leads the Big Ten with 13 goals. Welcome, M.D. Yes, nice to be here. And we welcome in the top man for the Rutgers men's soccer team, Jim McKeldry. Thanks for having us. All right, Jim, on Tuesday night, this will air on Thursday, but on Tuesday night, another game in the Big Ten. I mean, they come fast and furious down the stretch. The Penn State Nittany Lions, your assessment of your team this year now in your fourth season. Yeah, so we're in the thick of it right at the end of the season. Uh, The way it works out for us, this is our last Big Ten game. We have a bye on the last weekend, which is why we're playing UCLA that last weekend. A bye weekend for us at UCLA worked out. So this is our last Big Ten game, so we'll put everything we have into it. Penn State uh, won the league last year. Uh, Jeff does a great job with their team. They're right in the same kind of thick of it that we are, so all fighting to, to see if we can earn a home game in the conference playoffs. So it should be a good game. Uh, looks like the weather is going to be pretty good. So, um, you know, uh, we're excited for it. Another opportunity for us to to show people uh, on the national stage that we're a really good team and uh, can compete with uh, the best teams in the country. I want to remind everybody, since this airs on Thursday, that Rutgers-UCLA game will be on 12 noon on the Big Ten Network. Tim Lenahan will join me for that broadcast. Make sure you check that out as the Bruins are in Piscataway. And, of course, UCLA will be coming into the Big Ten in a couple years, Jim, as you made the transfer over from Fordham and now at Rutgers, now with UCLA coming in. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's exciting times to be in, in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, you know, I think there's some history with UCLA and, and teams on the East Coast. Many years ago, Rutgers played UCLA in a final. Brad Friedel was in goal and and many other U.S. national team players. So uh, I think it's a, a fun thing for us. And anytime you can associate yourself with top schools uh, academically, but also they're, they're great in every sport. Uh, there'll be some challenges with travel and we'll, we'll work those out later. So uh, this just kind of um, worked out with our bye weekend. So they'll come out here this year and then we'll play out there next year. So hopefully it's a, it's a great relationship that we can compete on the field really well, but also help each other off the field to attract top players like MD to, to come and play at top schools with great facilities and, and really just top level competition. And before we bring in MD Myers, who is the runaway leader for Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, I'm sure with 13 goals and four assists. I want to remind everybody that he's from Delran, New Jersey as well, which is where Peter Vermese and I think Carly Lloyd are also from, to just name a few superstars, and MD is right there with him. The transfer portals changed the game, Jim. Tell us how you went about getting MD to come to Rutgers after he entered his name in the transfer portal from High Point. Anytime someone from New Jersey enters the, the transfer portal, we, we look into them. I think it's something we've said from, from day one, that, you know, can we attract the best players from New Jersey and whether that's from um, them coming out of high school or their, their club environment, or if they put themselves in the, the portal, if they're from New Jersey, we're going to do our research and, you know, doing research on MD, obviously he had tons of stats, which were incredibly impressive, but you're also trying to find the right person to fit into your program. It's not easy for transfers sometimes to come in and fit in. They're joining up with guys who have been here two, three sometimes four years. They got to have the right mentality. Uh, They have to be guys that are team first and MD fit all those categories. You know, I don't think there's anybody that works um, any harder than him at his game. And 
and wants our team to be equally as good as, as him individually. So, you know, after doing research and talking to so many people, as, as you know, soccer community is a small world. So we all know each other. We all know, he, uh, you know who coached him when he was younger and when he was at Philly, but even before that and just got stellar reviews from everybody. So uh, it turned out to be a great fit. And also having the opportunity to get him here in the spring semester last year was incredibly helpful because then he's around the team. You learn things that he's really good at and, and how he works and, and vice versa with some of our players. So uh, that made it really special for us to be able to have that whole spring to work and train and compete. And then by the time this season rolled around, you know, it was like he had been here for many years. So it's been a, a great transition. But a lot of that credit goes to him because he fits in well with teams. And I think it's going to help him at the next level as well, because he knows how to kind of join in a team and fit in and, and work his way into the lineup. So he's got a, a great future with us for the next period of time. But then uh, when he's when he's fortunate enough to, to jump to the next level, I think that those skills are going to help him too. MD Myers, 21 goals and nine assists, 51 points during his time at high point. As I mentioned now, 13 goals and four assists. So picking right up where he left off from high point with Rutgers Scarlet Knights under Jim McKeldry. MD, tell your story about making the decision to come back to your home state of New Jersey from high point. When I answered the transfer portal, I knew I wanted to go to a bigger program um, in a big conference. And uh, the Big Ten was um, extremely appealing to me. I was talking to a number of schools, but Rutgers put the plan out there for me and um, it made me super excited. I thought I could score goals and I thought this team could do something special. Coming home was super nice as well because I'm only 45 minutes away from home. My family can come to all the games, uh, which is nice because it was an eight-hour drive uh, down to High Point, so they didn't get to see uh, many of them in person. And also knowing some of the guys at Rutgers already. I played with a couple guys like Jackson Temple and Cole Sotak at Union. And also playing against all the Red Bulls guys and PDA guys. So it was comfortable coming back. And I thought it was going to be a great opportunity for me to build my game and, and progress. You know, it's interesting. You're very much kind of like a, a unicorn in that you are <laughs> extremely tall, yet your ability in really tight, you know, spaces where maybe your height isn't even a factor, you still have ability to score goals. You've got this quick trigger. You always seem to be in the right place at the right time. Just talk about how you became a great goal scorer. When did it start? Was it in the youth system? When did you know, hey, I'm pretty good at this? Since I was a little kid, my passion was scoring goals. I mean, that's kind of what I live for. So getting in front of the, the goal and putting the back of the net is what I do. But I was never really the biggest kid in the field. I, when I was young in, in the Union Academy, I was one of the smaller kids at all times. So I had to pave my way in, in different ways. I had to figure out ways to score goals that um, maybe some of the bigger guys couldn't. And um, as I grew, those attributes just followed through with me. And um, I put two and two together and uh, it's all kind of working out for me at this point in time. Jim, are you with me? He reminds me of like, you know, Anthony Davis used to be a point guard and now he's, you know, seven <laughs> feet tall or whatever as a basketball <laughs> player and still uses that. And I'm so glad that you now admitted that you were smaller because you're not small now. You're tall, you're wiry, and yet, you know, you do have the ability to check back like a traditional nine. But Jim, he is a different kind of player and so fun to watch. You know, we all forget some of these teams that he played on with Philly Union were uber competitive, a lot of really good players. And you got to kind of fight for everything in those in those moments. And I think, you know, a lot of good players at the club level make that jump from their club team to these MLS academies. And from the outside, it looks like, oh, now they're playing with all the great players and it's easier for them. But really, it's hard. It's training every day. You're competing every day. You're fighting for playing time. And I think, as MD said, you know, you kind of 
you work on your game in those tough, those tough moments. But I also think one of the things MD's done is since getting to college has continued to work on his game, even before he got to, to Rutgers working at his game at high point. I, I know it's something that people talk about, but even in the summers, so it's constantly trying to push it. And, you know, he's got a great ability to, to make uh, consistent runs and not complain if he doesn't get the ball. He, he's kind of positive in that eventually it'll find him if he keeps working and he keeps making the, the right decisions on where to be. And, and a lot of times it's a lot of work that doesn't get rewarded. But when you keep doing it, eventually the ball seems to find you. He also does a great job of hitting the target, forcing goalkeepers to make saves, has the equal ability to strike a ball with both feet, can head. Those are all attributes that goal scorers have, right? If you only have one thing you're good at, the coaches are good, players are good, they can shut that down. But if you can go right, you can go left, you can score in the air, as you said, is he can hold the ball up really well as a traditional number nine, but then can get into the box and score goals. So, you know, I think he, he makes it difficult to be shut down. And, and I think our players have, have learned how to find ways to get them. And, hey, sometimes you just get it in the box and let them go find it. Hey, other times we'll play it to his feet and let him be someone who can connect on passes and help us create for other people. So really a lot of attributes, but I think a lot of the credit goes to him. He works on his game. He's in the weight room. He stays after late. So far away, it looks like hey, he's just naturally gifted, but I think at the same time, he works on his game uh, incredibly hard. So it's really impressive. MD, remind us what the MD stands for, sir. Yeah, I mean, uh, so my name is Matthew and my middle name is Dylan. And it's kind of a nickname I had it since I was little. I think there's another kid named Matthew on my first soccer team. So um, I was the one that they gave the nickname to. And um, I don't know, MD stuck stuck around for a long time. And, and I like it a lot. And uh, everybody besides my mom basically calls me MD at this point in time. What would it mean for us to say MD, the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year in 2022? It's extremely exciting. I hope I can, I can get that reward. Um, it's something at the beginning of the season that, I was striving to, uh, to work toward. Um, and I knew it was something that I was going to need a lot of help from my teammates. They've uh, been just as good as I've been um, and put me in the positions that, that um, have allowed me to score goals and, and, and create, create chances. So it's exciting. And uh, hopefully we can, as a team, um, continue success and, and make a run in the postseason. All right, well, let's talk about that. You're already in the Big Ten tournament. There's one way to make sure you get in, and that is win the Big Ten tournament. Jim, you might be able to tell me quicker than I know right now where your RPI is. As you look at where you guys stand right now, do you kind of know what you got to do to get into the NCAA tournament so everybody can see you and your team and also see this talented MD Myers? Yeah, you know, I think we're right in the balance. We got to win some more games. I think I've told our team that, uh, you know, we're not in the NCAA tournament by any stretch right now. So we've got to, We've got to win more games, but right now we're three, two and two in the conference. So we've got a chance to earn a home game, which helps, I think, in terms of just travel, never mind who your opponent is. It's going to be an interesting last weekend for us, because unlike all the other teams in our conference, uh, we'll be done. So on Sunday, we're just going to be sitting watching the other games. So we won't know who our opponent is or where we're playing until, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon, evening. So um in some ways, it's it's nice because we know we're at least in the conference playoffs. We know where we're going to be playing the following Friday. So, uh, listen, at this point, we are looking at concentrating at playing at Penn State, which we know is a is going to be a huge challenge. They know our team very well. We know their players very well. Um, it's a very tough place to play, and to get a result for sure, we'll just put all our all our thought into that game, and then you know recover best we can, and then you know play a, a last non conference game against a, an exciting opponent in UCLA. And then we sit and kind of figure out where we're where we're playing and who we're playing against. But 
ultimately we know we got to win some more games if we have any chance to get in the NCAA tournament, if we don't win the, the Big Ten tournament. So we're not getting ahead of ourselves in any, in, in any way. We know that we've got to win more games. Softball question, you know, kind of the same one, MD, as you heard me say, I wanted your take on making the NCAA tournament. I got to believe with you on the team and the talent around you, anything short of that will be a disappointment, right? You guys are gunning to get in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we have the talent and and we play good soccer. I think we're a team that could really make a, a good run in, in the playoffs. And um, it's just about putting a full performance in. Uh, I think a lot of the games this season, um, we come up just a little short, either tying games or failing to win games late. It's just, I think we put everything together defensively, offensively, we can really beat almost any team in the country. So um, it's exciting and hopefully we can just get there in the next few games and, and, and make a run in the tournament. You're just a young buck. Jim's also pretty young. I'm kind of an old guy. So I was with Peter Vermees at the 90 World Cup in Italy. I was with him for several years as he tried to make the 94 World Cup team. I consider him a really good friend. He was on the Big Ten and 10 with Jim McKeldry, which I think even Jim admitted was an incredible honor and probably was the best Big Ten and 10 we did a couple years ago. Did you know who Peter Vermees and I got to believe you know who Carly Lloyd was, but did you know that Peter Vermees is from Delran? Yeah, I do. I mean, the field that I've grown up playing on is uh, Peter Vermees field. So uh, <laughs> he's kind of a big deal in Delran. Um, even when his uh, Kansas City Sporting would uh, come to Philly to play Union, they'd have a huge uh, Delran um, community come out to the game. So uh, I definitely know him and uh, Carly Lloyd, too. Uh, I trained with her in, in off seasons before. So there's a real Delran connection. And um, yeah, I know the history that, that they have uh, at Rutgers. Now let's flash forward to two days from today, Sunday, as you play UCLA, you already referenced that matchup of the championship game where the big redhead played for Rutgers. And then, you know, you said Brad Friedel, but man, it's bigger than Brad Friedel because they had Mike Lapper and they had Chris Henderson and they had Joe Max Moore and they had Kobe Jones. And I think Paul Radcliffe, the longtime coach at Stanford was on that team, Sam George. I mean, the, that team was loaded under the great Ziggy Schmidt. I love that you're bringing that game back to life with a home and away. I mean, that's amazing. A couple of our alums, uh, we had this uh, at our game against Michigan the other night, and uh, they were excited about it as well. It's, and, uh, you know, we had planned this game even prior before they get announced that they were coming into the Big Ten. So, you know, eventually we'll be playing this game year in and year out. But, yeah, I think there's some great memories for uh, – it was a tough loss for Rutgers on, on penalties, but some great memories of uh, – for both of the, the universities and, and top players. And, and you think in, and on those teams were guys that played eventually in the world cup. So it's pretty amazing. And, um, you know, hopefully it, it turns into a, you know, a special game every year, year in and year out when, whether we're heading out there, they're coming out here. As we start to say goodbye to our, our leadoff guests, Jim McKeldry and MD Myers, uh, which is an honor as they're featured on the big 10 network. They're featured two days ago. They'll be featured two days from now. And hopefully we'll get a game with the big 10 tournament. Uh, Jim, lastly, all of us have been impressed with what you've done at Rutgers in short order. You had great success at Fordham. You're an accomplished coach. Can you put into words what it means to lead the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and put them back on the map? Yeah, you know, it's been a lot of fun uh, the last couple of years, as you guys know, with, with COVID, it's been a crazy couple of years. Um, I've been here, you know, just about four years, and I feel like I've been here for 10 with COVID and uh, all that's changed. And But we, uh, we're we very lucky here at Rutgers. We've got great facilities that, that just recently opened. You know, we played Michigan at home on Friday night, and I had a, a bunch of alums say to me at the end of the game, man, this feels like how it used to feel here. There was a good crowd. 
it was a super intense game. We had some, some students there that were making the ambiance even better. So, you know, we're pushing to try to be as good as we possibly can on the field, but we're also trying to create it, um, you know, to get the program to where we want it to be in terms of, we've got a great soccer community here in New Jersey. They, they know what good soccer is all about. We feel we play a good brand of soccer and, um, you know, now can we just keep pushing to, to turn that quality soccer into wins and, we feel good about where we are. As MD said, there's a couple of games we probably wish we had back that we tied that we thought maybe we could turn into wins, but it's hard to win games, uh, especially in our conference. So, you know, right now we're, we're in a position where, you know, our future is kind of in our own hands, whether we finish in the top four. So, um, you know, that's a good place to be with, with one game left uh, and also knowing that we're, we're in the conference playoffs and we can start planning for that, that Friday game. So, Really excited about where this program is right now, but also um, as we head to the future, uh, we know great things are coming. Can't wait to see you on Saturday as well against UCLA. That game is at 12 noon. And MD, as we say goodbye to you, we salute your 13 goals. I'm thinking by Saturday, 14 or 15, and when Saturday's over, it might be 20. We'll see what you do if you light it up on the Big Ten Network twice. Can you tell us your future plans? Are you going pro after this year? Do you have any eligibility left to come back? Can you remind us of what your future plans are? I do have a COVID year. My dreams are to go to, to play the next level. So um, we'll figure things out as the, the season comes to a close. All right, we'll keep counting your goals as well. And I look forward to calling a few on Tuesday and on Saturday on the Big Ten Network. An honor to be with you, MD Myers, and an honor always to be with Jim McKeldry, Rutgers, Scarlet Knights. So great to have you guys back moving and shaking in the Big Ten and nationally. Thank you to you both for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate it. Appreciate Jim McKeldry. Appreciate M.D. Myers. And of course, all of us appreciate the incredible work Shellis Heinemann has done at so many levels. College, pro, coaching, educator. And at the convention, he will receive the United Soccer Coaches Honor Award. Shellis Heinemann joins us after this message. Register now for the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia. From January 11th through the 15th, connect with your soccer coaching community and experience all United Soccer Coaches has to offer in one place. Enhance your coaching resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. In addition to meal functions, award ceremonies, and a huge exhibit hall offering the latest in coaching tech, equipment, and more. Register before the December 15th Price increase at UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org. On October 6, 2022, United Soccer Coaches proudly announced Shalas Heinemann as the 83rd recipient of its Honor Award in recognition of a career of meritorious service to the association and outstanding contributions to soccer in multiple areas and levels of the game. Presented annually since 1942, the Honor Award is the most prestigious accolade bestowed by the association to an individual. It will be presented at the annual awards banquet on January 13, 2023, in conjunction with the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A member of the association since 1976, Shellis has been a longtime member of the association's coaching academy, teaching staff, and has the title of Director of Coaching Education Emeritus. He was a member of the Board of Directors, culminating with his term as president of the organization in 2005. He was named the recipient of the Mike Berticelli Excellence in Coaching Education Award in 2007 and the Bill Jeffrey Award for longtime service to college soccer 
in 2011. In 2020, Shellis was inducted as a member of the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame following an illustrious career as a coach at the college and professional levels. We'll get into some of that as we spend time with Shellis, but that is just to open the door and welcome and congratulate Shellis. Shellis, you're a smart man. You are smart enough to know what it means to win the United Soccer Coaches Honor Award. Knowing that, how does it make you feel, sir? Well, I tell you, just listening to you go through that, those have been wonderful years and they've gone by so, so fast. How do I feel? When I got the call and the surprise call, I basically had to uh, dry tears from my eyes. And it took me 10 minutes before I walked out of my office to go and share the great news with my wife because I was still trying to pinch myself to see if, if that really did happen. I've attended so many banquets with United Soccer Coaches over the years, and this has always been the final award of the ceremony. It always turns out to be one of great emotions by the recipients. It turned out to be great applause and honor by all who are attending. I think everyone realizes the importance of this award. When I've received awards in the past, a lot of it was through my coaching and my dedication to coaching education. I was so blessed and so happy to get Hall of Fame coach a couple of years ago. And I honestly thought, this award, the Honors Award, was out of my reach because all I've done is coach. And I've done it to the best of my ability in coaching education. I've, I probably have taught thousands of candidates in all those years, those 35 years. It's been such a blessing and an honor for me to be doing that. And then to receive this uh, unbelievable award is, uh, I'm still uh, amazed. And, and you can tell through my speech that I'm still emotional about Have it. You have you thought about your speech already, Shellis? Because that's an important part of it. They do add the video component, which I think allows you to relax a little bit more, right? Because they do that incredible video, but you still have to go up there and everybody is going to be excited to hear what you have to say. Have you thought about it yet? Or are you going to wait a little bit? No, no, no. I, I started thinking about it that night. <laughs> All right. And uh, in fact, uh, I probably have uh, 10 pages of notes that I, that, you know, just come from your heart. And then you try to break it into some type of logic. I am so honored with this. I don't want to mess it up with a poor speech. <laughs> well, I know you won't mess it up. And the only part I'll disagree with you on when you say all you did is coach, because when you are as involved as you are and have been and continue to be, and we'll have more on the fact that you're actually going over Qatar representing United Soccer Coaches with a nice group of coaches for the World Cup, including the England-USA game, which will be amazing. Chellis, I mean, you have been involved in coaching education for a long time. That's not just coaching. Coaching's like saying, okay, you're going to start it forward, you know, right now as we go out to try to play for SMU or at some of the other places you were or FC Dallas, wherever. But, I mean, you have dedicated your life to then-named NSCAA and United Soccer Coaches, and it feels like every time they've called you, you've answered the bell. Dean, thank you, first, first of all, for saying that. It's really been a passion. And I guess that's why, you know, I, I say I've only coached because I've been so fortunate to live this unbelievable life where I've been able to share my knowledge with coaches, share my knowledge with players, mentor people, assistant coaches. It's just been fun. When you think about work, when you use the word work, that never came into my vocabulary when I dealt with United Soccer Coaches or the NSCAA. 
And I got that all when I came to the United States. I was really quite backwards in high school with a language problem. And what I was good at was athletics. And two coaches, Bob Costello, George Provacus, in my high school, grabbed me and mentored me. And after that, I looked at them and said, I want to be like them one day. What a fantastic career they've both had and how they've influenced people. So this is my repayment to all those great people that have spent time with me. Let's not forget, probably the most important people have been my family, who saw the passion that I had, that involvement. I honestly, when I was thinking about the speech, I honestly am thinking about, have I ever said no? Show us, we need you to do this. We need you to, you know, be the president of the association, be on the board or, or, or whatever. I've, I've never said no because this has been like a family to me, our association. Let's go down memory lane because you were, I think, born in China and then your family immigrated to the United States in 1957. Mm-hmm. You actually grew up in my home state of Ohio you graduated from Butler High School in Vandalia, Ohio. I feel like that's around Dayton, but I might be wrong on that. Where Where is that? It is. It is a suburb of Dayton, correct. Okay, perfect. And how was your time in Vandalia? What was that like growing up in Ohio? You know, it was, it was, it was a big difference. We lost our father at a young age, and I was in a you know, very, very small apartment, all with women, my grandmother, my mother, my sister. And so a lot of people, you know, took the time to kind of, guide me, help me. Vandalia was, was really my home. You know, it was hard to leave. When I went to college at Eastern Illinois, it was hard to leave, but I try to stay in contact as much as I can. I go back. I'm initiating this year the first camp for the Vandalia for, for a soccer camp. And I have some people that, are, that have also agreed to join me, uh, John Gray and others who we're going to donate our time for the community and uh, hope that we can get some people who want to be out there, some kids that we can help give some guidance to. So Vandalia was really my home. And that's why whenever I go anywhere and they say, where did you come from? Yeah, I grew up in China. I came here at a young age, but have a lot of Chinese culture in me because my family had been in China since the 1700s. That's incredible. And of course, as you already touched on, you attended Eastern Illinois University on a soccer scholarship where Shellis was part of the 1969 NAIA National Championship team. As a freshman, he earned his undergraduate degree at EIU in 73 and later a master's from Murray State University in 75. After two years in Brazil teaching and serving as a club staff coach, he returned to the United States and began his collegiate career. And I think you began at your alma mater, which I think is the home to Tony Romo and some other big time quarterbacks, right? Mike Shanahan, you know, there's this... uh... There are some great, great coaches that have come out of Eastern Illinois. When I look at my experiences there, I could not imagine anything any better. When I uh, decided to retire a year and a half ago from Grand Canyon University, I kept on getting a phone call from one of my players, one of my players that played for me back in 1981, Guy Calipari out of Chicago, who's a, who's a soccer coach himself. Coach, where are you going to be? Tell me where you're going to be. Are you going to be in Scottsdale? Because I want to come down and visit you. Or are you you going to be back in Dallas? And I just kept on saying, guy, I don't know yet. Because for me to move to Dallas, I got to find the right place that my wife and I will be happy. You know, we want to be close to our daughter. So I don't know if that place is going to be available. So we've been looking, looking, looking. So I finally called him. I said, guy, just so you know, we're going to be back in Dallas. I said, why has this been bothering you so much? And he said, coach, we got about 18 guys who are going to come down and share your retirement with you from Eastern Illinois. And you think about what I just said to you, 
there's not enough words to come together to bring that those emotions to life that you have made an impact on people that they wasn't just four years but it's been a lifetime of relationship and friendships that was really meaningful well that's what happens when you compile a college record of 511 169 and 6 in 37 years including mm -hmm. the stint at eastern illinois as he just mentioned the alumni there for his retirement from grand canyon he was there 77 to 83 smu 83 to 2006 and wrapping up at Grand Canyon 2015 to 21. In his time as head coach, Shellis's programs qualified for 33 NCAA championships. And overall, I felt like we're going to talk about your stint in MLS, but I felt like your heart's kind of where my heart is, and that's in college soccer. Is that fair? It really is fair. Sometimes um, we don't know how good we have things. You know, we move <laughs> on. Uh, it was really, really hard for me to leave Eastern Illinois because that's where I went to school. I felt like that's where I grew up, made some some fantastic friends and became a better person as well as a better better player. And then going back there was really an easy thing for me because I was living in Brazil. And, and when the opportunity came to come back to be an assistant, a graduate assistant, quite honestly, and then uh, to get the position the following year, like I still remember, Dean, those first couple of days when I was the head soccer coach at Eastern Illinois, I would walk through campus like I always did as a student athlete. And I'd always sit on this one little hill, you know, it's when all the students walk by in between classes and you just say hi to people and stuff like that. And I lay down by that hill and I said, how can life ever be any better? I'm exactly where I want to be for the rest of my life. I stayed there for, I think, seven years. And when SMU came to me, of course, my, my first instinct was, no, I'm not going. And they came to me the second time and uh, <laughs> uh, they, they made it almost difficult, like the, the, like the godfather, you know, we're gonna, you got a deal for you, you know, <laughs> you know you take it too. And, <laughs> and I did. And it was really a great move. I mean, uh, SMU, in 24 years there, I met so many wonderful people, not only in the game of soccer, but just people in the community. Started my own soccer club because I felt like I could have something to contribute. And then uh, the move to Grand Canyon was something where Mike Voss, who I met through SMU, he was an assistant AD, became the AD. And his thing was, why don't you just come down here and take a look? And my whole idea was to go down to maybe be a consultant, right? It was right after my, my uh, stink with FC Dallas and I was free just waiting for another call from another MLS team. And you don't probably get back into that if it was the right, if it was the right thing. So I went there for just an interview of being a consultant. As it turned out, there was a contract given to me when I got, <laughs> when I got on the plane. Of course, of <laughs> and course. Of course you know, yeah, okay, I'll do it for one year. Well, one year turned into a great six years. So that's the college experience. And through it all, there was some, a couple of constants, finding success, having wonderful people to, that, that I was able to coach, feeling very comfortable in my job. Well, you also found success in MLS. You were the head coach of FC Dallas from 2008 to 13. During your time with the team, you were named the 2010 MLS Coach of the Year, and you made an appearance in the MLS Cup Final in 2010, losing to Colorado. Can you sum up your time in Major League Soccer? I sum up my time by saying it was a, an amazing experience. That jump from college to pro is not an easy one. You're dealing with a different mentality of a soccer player. A lot of your players might be international. You have a hard time communicating with them. I think I had three players on the team were from France and I don't speak 
any French or understand any French. Living in Brazil, my nationality is Portuguese. I was fine with that. Got a lot of Spanish going along with it. You're dealing with players that are making their careers and are making livelihoods. And they've got families. They got children, obviously a different age group, but you can almost see a me mentality there because you, they don't take care of themselves. Who's going to take care of them? It took a while to learn that because in, in the collegiate level, we're all getting an education. We're all in the same boat together and we're all trying to be successful. I think that was a learning process. I think I adjusted to it. I would not trade anything in the world for it. You know, sometimes you do something, you say, God, that was a huge, huge disaster or a mistake. This I can't say say that at all. I truly enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with the Hunt family and I enjoy uh, being on stage every every week for a major game. You know, it wasn't like maybe 250 people showing up for a college game. It was, uh, you know, 20,000 people. You had to have pretty thick skin when the team wasn't doing well. <laughs> well, Shellis, he says he's retired. We know he's not retired because he's still very active living in the great city of Dallas, Texas, with his wife, Cammie. You've got three children. Tell me their names again, Shellis. Yeah, my son's uh, Antonio. We call him Tony. My older daughter is Jamie, and my youngest daughter is Tamara. They all have special names through family members or lifetime friends. Yeah. All right. And you've got two grandchildren, of course, yes. Emerson and Wade. Of course, Emerson, he's still with Atlanta United, right? In Major League Soccer? Yes, he, you know, he is. And we're so awfully proud of him. You know, he, uh, he left the United States at age 15 to go to Fulham uh, to their academy, was on their first team and uh, decided uh, he wanted to venture into the Premier League. It was a, a little bit more challenging and difficult than the, than the Champions League. He had a really good career there, wanted to come back to the States. The deal was worked with Boca Negra down in Atlanta, so he was there. For the last year and a half, he's had an ACL and then just some muscles recovery, so he's not been able to be at his best, but I know uh, he will be back to his best. And my other grandson, Wade, he lives with my daughter in San Antonio. Wade is a lovely, lovely young boy, and he's uh, uh, 13, maybe going to 14, yeah. As I said, you're not even close to retired because you're going to go with the association as a coach educator for a group of member coaches attending the 2022 <laughs> FIFA Men's World Cup this fall in Qatar, Shellis. You get the nod to go over there. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, you talk about excitement. I get a phone call. It really tricked me. Um, the phone call was all set for a conversation about Qatar. And all of a sudden, uh, it turned out to be, hey, we're giving you the honor award, you know? So that that kind of caught me <laughs> off balance on the honor award. Uh, right. um, I'm a 10th degree black belt, studying the martial arts for 40 years. I consider myself pretty hard skinned, pretty tough, you know, in, <laughs> in, in, in situations that brought tears to me. Jeff Ambusen got a hold of me and and, and Jeff said, uh, shall us... Uh, would you uh, represent uh, United Soccer Coaches and in, in, uh, you and Ralph Perez in Qatar for the World Cup? And I very seldom missed the World Cup, but this was one that I, 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 I kept on going back and forth, back and forth on it. And I said, you know, with all the headaches of lodging, you know, the tickets weren't, weren't that difficult for me to get. I know it is for others, but not for me. And, uh, but, I, you know, finding a place to stay was, was a, an unbelievable nightmare. So when they said, well, we'll take care of all this, uh, we have a, a Jeremy Parkins, who's uh, with um, a generation Adidas International, uh, had us all set up. And, and thank goodness, uh, you know, they're, they're putting this program together. And Ralph and I will be uh, lead instructors there. A lot of things we'll talk about, of course, is match analysis. We'll set up a lot of meetings with coaches that 
uh, Ralph and I know or, or announcers that we might know that give all these candidates an opportunity to experience not only a World Cup, but it's also an experience of a, a lifetime memory. And by the way, you know, there is still space available. Anybody wants to quickly jump on, where else can you go to a World Cup and have lodging and tickets and the avenue of meeting some really legends in the game? And so it's pretty cool. My man, Shellis, has been named the honor award, and he's still selling for United Soccer Coaches. That's a, <laughs> you are a true gem, Shellis. I love that, uh, and I certainly appreciate that. As we close out our time, this one's going to be tough, and you're going to get a pass. So you don't have to have any added pressure. We know you're going to thank your family. We know you're going to be emotional. My question relates directly to who at NSCAA slash United Soccer Coaches comes to the top of the list. And again, if you miss anybody here, nobody's going to have their feelings hurt because you're going to have time in January to get that list finalized. But right off the bat, as you think about who at United Soccer Coaches has truly impacted your life as you receive this honor award, who are a couple of names that come to mind, Shellis? Well, the first name is really, really quite easy. It's Mike Berticelli, you know, who's passed. Um, Mike Berticelli was uh, a, a fantastic boy, old friend. He brought me on to coaching education. He didn't really know who I was. He only knew my, knew my reputation. He believed in me. And we developed an unbelievable relationship. He left us too young. He got on the board. And um, when he passed, it was my decision to follow his route. And, and I uh, went on the board myself. So he's been, he's been fantastic, a person to work with. I mean, I, I, I developed great relationships with, with people. I enjoyed working with, with uh, Jim Sheldon, Steve Veal. I mean, these, these are legendary people who, who had, didn't have the, the resources or the dollars uh, to, to do the type of things that we're trying to do today. But those, those, those people were very influential to me. The Joe Cummings, uh, I might have mentioned him earlier. And of course, I think, I think under the leadership right now, of uh, Jeff Van Dusen, I think we have a really good CEO here who's not only in the game, so he understands coaching. He loves the game of soccer. Uh, he was a coach himself at the, you know, at, at the collegiate level. He has a passion and a desire to make the, the association one of the best in the world. And my role is to help him in, through coaching education. I love that. And I will say, I'm really pleased that you mentioned Steve Veal because that is a man who loves this association oh, yeah. so much, never seeks the limelight at all. And we'll close with this. My first exposure, I'll always remember, you won't because I was just kind of a little fleas, you know, running around, but I got to do SMU at South Carolina at the graveyard, you on one side, Mark Burson, I felt like another legend of the game on the other side. We got to spend time with you before the game and, and interviewed you during the game, Shellis. And I remember it like it was, was yesterday because you were such a gentleman and you helped uh, flourish this passion I have for, for broadcasting. So I want to thank you for that. And I also want to congratulate you on this well-deserved award being named an honor award recipient of United soccer coaches. Well, that's very nice for you to say, thank you. And, uh, Maybe that was the game that Mark Burson beat us to go to the final four because that one's still stuck in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. You, you, you always remember a few losses in there. Oh, geez, you got a ton you. of wins. You <laughs> Thank you very much for the opportunity to, to talk about uh, my trip and this, this great award that I'll be receiving. Thank you. 
All right, we'll see you in Philadelphia. Thank you so much, Chellis. All right, Dean, see you soon. Stay healthy. You talk about honor. That man is the definition of honor. When we return, we'll talk NWSL. Kristen Hamilton scored a beautiful goal to help the Kansas City Current, a relatively new team, make it to this weekend's NWSL championship game against Portland. Kristen Hamilton on the bounce. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the master course schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. This is the portion of the show where we focus on the training ground. That means we focus on some of the big timers who are part of the content creation consortium. Today, we have a big, big timer, Paul McVeigh. Who is Paul McVeigh? Let me tell you a little bit about him. For more than 25 years, Paul McVeigh has been an elite performer in two of the most competitive industries on the planet, elite sport and performance psychology. As a thought leader in business, performance psychology, and as a published author, he's dedicated his career to understanding what makes humans tick and how it affects the way they think, feel, and act. Now, he's been able to do that because of a great career as a player, and I want to get into that as well because that led him to write a book called The Stupid Footballer is Dead. That is also not the focus of this talk today. It's on his story that's coming out, Focus on the Positives, ironically, to overuse the word focus, but I do want to tell everybody about The Stupid Footballer is Dead, Paul McVeigh's book. Professional football in the modern era is played every bit as much in the mind as on the pitch. More and more, it's becoming clear that natural talent is nowhere near enough to sustain a career in the modern game. Players need to be smart, not academically, but in terms of their thinking. The ones who are dedicated with mental resilience and a winner's psychology are prospering well and will continue to do so as the game evolves. The stupid footballer is dead. Ex-premiership footballer Paul McVeigh, the man we're about to introduce in about 30 seconds looks back on his professional career and how he learned to play the mental game and gives a look behind the scenes into the approach of some of the game's highest performers the book will appeal to sports fans and players who want to get inside the head of top professionals and if there's one book to be read by players at all levels who want to improve their performance on the pitch then this is it from someone who hit the heights and top level sport and is driven to share what he learned along the way and that'll be part of our focus today. With that, Paul, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dane, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I think I'd want to take you all around the world with me every time I do a, a speaking event, the keynote speaking event, because that's possibly the best introduction I've ever had to anything I've ever done. <laughs> well, I find that hard to believe, but I do want to dive a little bit deeper into your background as a footballer. Tell us where you started and where you ended up, what led to the book, and then what, really more importantly, what you do now to be able to focus on helping people. And then we'll jump to your article, focus on the positives. Give us your whole story if you can, Paul. Yeah, it's, it's obviously been a long, long while in the making. And whenever you look back at where you started it's sometimes it's 
it's quite scary or impressive. Not sure what the, <laughs> what the best way to describe it is, but, but growing up in, in Belfast in Ireland, which effectively was a civil war. And I didn't realize it at the time, but anyone who has any knowledge of, of that time, it's, there's, it's a place called the Troubles. And that sort of sets the scene for where I grew up in, in Belfast, in Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And, and, and as the civil war was going on, I didn't realize that I was going out to play soccer, football every single day outside my street. And that was just the best thing you could ever do. It was so enjoyable. But I didn't realize that all this other stuff that was going on all around me, all around the city, all around the country, and that had such a huge impact on me, my personality, my, my resilience levels, and, and also my determination to try and get out of an area that was essentially a working class area so I could go and have a better life. And I was very fortunate to go and join Tottenham Hotspur in 1994. And, and this will probably appeal to all the US um, national team fans because on my first day of joining Tottenham Hotspur, I had the privilege and the pleasure of training with Jurgen Klinsmann. Of course, what, what a World Cup legend he was, even by that stage in 1994. And of course, went on to, to coach the national team. But at the time, he was just a global icon. He was such a superstar. And I didn't realize that being in his company, probably all the other players were so happy, so excited just to be playing with this guy. But when I looked across at him, because he was you know, everything that I wanted to be, but there was an instant realization that I didn't ever believe or ever think that I could do what he could do. And I never thought that I could be a professional, never mind a first team player at Hotham Hotspur or in the Premier League, and definitely would never make it to an international level. So that was almost my starting point. There's loads of reasons why that didn't define me all through my career. But then I managed to go on and have nearly 20 years of playing professionally with the likes of Norwich City, um, Burnley, Luton Town, and, and I did manage to play for my country, Northern Ireland, as well, on 40 occasions. So it was just a, it was just such an amazing experience. I wouldn't say it was all enjoyable the whole time, but so many good things that did happen over 20 years of playing professionally. That's a great breakdown. And clearly, as a world-renowned expert in elite performance, Paul's credibility comes from his unique combination of reaching the pinnacle of elite sport as well as being the first Premier League footballer to qualify with a master's degree in psychology. Paul specializes in implementing the mental tools required to elevate the performance of leaders and teams from organizations across the world, especially in financial services, technology, and the professional services industry. And I find that fascinating because it's not like you're just saying, hey, coaches, let me help you understand how your players tick, that type of thing. But you're dealing with Deutsche Bank and big time companies like that, right? Yeah. It, and the thing is, it's at the end of the day, you're working with people. And I think that's why I love this subject so much. I call it performance psychology because whenever you talk about psychology to people, you know, sometimes you think you need to be lying on a couch and, and you know, speaking to a doctor or a guy or a girl in a white coat. And, and it's just not quite that. It's really, it's essentially how we function, how we think on a daily basis. And why this was so beneficial to me is because I was applying all of these strategies, these tools, the things I was learning when I was playing against these incredible players, you know, household names that I'm sure everyone listening will know, the likes of Thierry Henry, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, you know, even talking about teams like the Invincibles of Arsenal, 
And, and playing against these guys, you had to be at the top of your game. So for me, and this isn't going to work whenever you're listening to this, but I'm only five foot six. So I was always the smallest guy on the team. You know, one meter 68, every single player was always bigger than me. And so I needed to have to find some way that I could not only compete, but then also thrive in this environment, which really, in my opinion, was the most ruthless and the most competitive industry on in the world. And I say that just because the amount of millions and billions of kids all over the planet who wanted to do what I did, which is essentially become a professional player. And most players don't even just want to stay in their league and their country. Most players want to get to the Premier League just because it's you know probably the most prestigious, probably the richest, best paid league in the world. So you know it's such a it's such a pinnacle of elite football across the world. And for me, being able to do that, I needed to focus on the only thing that I had full control over, and that was my psychology or my mental performance. So as I learned about it, read about it, studied it, I went and did my degree when I was playing. But when I came out after nearly 20 years of playing, I just felt I had so much knowledge and expertise in this area that I could share this, not even just in the sporting world. And so I did become a sports psychologist with two EPL teams in Crystal Palace and Norwich City for those seven years. But then because I could realize and see that there was such a massive gap in the market that someone from my background had never gone down this route of keynote speaking, mental performance, been able to deliver long-term leadership programs in the corporate world, just seemed like such a no-brainer. And I'm the kind of guy, Dean, that whenever I look at something, just because no one else has ever done it before, that wasn't going to stop me from doing it. And so whenever I've now worked in this world for the last 12 years, as you say, it managed to take me all over the world, whether I'm speaking in the US, in Asia, across EMEA, in the, in the Australia. And it's just such a privilege to be able to go and share what I've learned in this sporting career, but also, as you say, through my master's, working with these corporates. And as my mum says, you know, I kicked the ball around for 20 years and now I'm talking about kicking the ball around for the last 12 years. When am I going to get a real job? <laughs> That's fantastic. You can learn more about Paul by going to a website simply with his name, the three W's, Paul McVeigh, M little C V E I G H. And you'll also learn more about the stupid footballer. Before we get into your story that you submitted for the training ground, tell us about this book. The stupid footballer is dead. Yeah, it was, it was supposed it was my, my attempt at being able to share what I'd learned across this 20 year professional career. And, and I think it was really targeting mostly the younger players, not necessarily the professionals, because I thought that as a professional, you should know most of this stuff, but actually what's turned out in the last 10 years since I've written it is that lots of professional players aren't even applying these very simple, very basic strategies that I was doing when I was 17, 18, 19. You know, things like visualization, or even just the fact that I used to go and see a sports psychologist, not because the club forced me, not because I was going particularly badly in the season or wasn't playing well, just because I was looking for every single way to improve my overall performance. Even things like doing yoga. I was practicing yoga before I would start the training. And so doing all these things that I just thought were normal, but whenever you speak to other players, they weren't doing any of these things. So the book is essentially lots of lessons, lots of key takeaways, simple, practical tools. And I think thing that's the challenge with this whole world of mental performance and psychology. How do you take a subject that is essentially in your mind, it's your thinking, it's your mindset, it's really your mentality, and how do you make that into practical, 
tangible takeaways that players and coaches can do every single day. And that's really what I wanted to do in the book. The article that he wrote as part of the training ground is called Focus on the Positives. I'm going to read from that in just a minute. But first, I want to understand how United Soccer Coaches found you to be a part of the training ground and this new initiative that they've launched. Yeah, so I, I've been really fortunate to um, present at the convention in the last couple of years, obviously with the break of COVID in the middle. But I did my first one um, in Philly, I think it was in 2019. And then last year or this year, start of this year. Yeah. I was in Kansas and it was Ian Barker who reached out to me, who was, who was looking after all the educational side of, of the USC. And whenever he said, listen, Paul, you know, there's not really anyone like you that we have access to because clearly you've had some incredible players. You know, like I think I've attended Thierry Henry presenting at one of the conventions. So amazing players have come and spoken before, but the difference is they come and talk about themselves and their careers which is great and fascinating to listen to. But the difference is how do you share what they've learned so that they can then translate that and transpose that so that coaches have some practical takeaways that they can learn from. And because I've been able to do this, not only just in the sporting world, but also in the corporate world, I think Ian was really keen to bring me in. And, and that's why I'm very fortunate. So especially with Dave, who's, who's now looking after this part of the, the organization, he's really just said, listen, can we use more of your knowledge instead of just taking you in, you know, one time a year and being able to present and whoever manages to get into the room, let's try and get this out to as many people as possible. Cause let's be honest. If you look at what we call the four corners performance, you essentially have the technical or tactical side of performance. You've got the physical side, you've got the psychological and all the social. And whenever I ask this question in front of any group that I'm presenting before, I normally say, what is the biggest difference in players? What is the single greatest contributor to what makes a player perform at the highest level? And when you take those four areas, technical, physical, psychological, and social, I think every single person listening, everybody in the room always agree it's the psychological, psychological or the mental side. And I'm always like, that's great, guys. But how much work are you consciously dedicating to improve that on a daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly basis. And it's not for me to judge people or to put people on the spot and make them feel bad or inadequate. It's more just to highlight that I think lots of people pay lip service to the fact that it's really important, possibly the most important difference in a top player and any other level of playing. And the majority of people that I come across, and I'll even include EPL teams that I've worked with, most of them do very, very little in this area. And I honestly think, Dean, it is the single greatest area that a player can improve their performance just by working on that one single area. All right, well, let's dive in. The name of the article that's on the training ground will be Focus on the Positives. I'm going to read the first few paragraphs, and then that will lead to an example from Paul. It starts by saying it's a word you'll hear used in and around soccer pitches all over the world focus. You'll more than likely have said it yourself on more than a few occasions, but have you ever stopped to think about just how powerful a tool it can be? And not just in a positive sense. Focus is a verb that needs to be treated with care and utilized properly. Yes, it can be verbal dynamite when it's applied in the right manner, but you want it to blow up the plans of the opposition, not your own players. I'll give you an example of how focus of a negative nature affected me and my team during my career 
as a professional soccer player? Yeah, so this is really interesting because what happened was we were having an amazing spell when I was playing at Norwich City and we managed to win the league called the Championship, which is the league below the EPL. And as we won the league, we got promoted into the Premier League. But because it's incredibly tough playing in the Premier League every single week, because you're playing against the best players in the world, because you're pushing yourself to your limits and your team's limits. And essentially that year that we played in it, competed in it, we got to the last game of the season. We didn't manage to win the game. But to be honest, Dean, we didn't really like it up in the Premier League. So we decided to come on back out of it again, <laughs> back into the championship. But we were favourites <laughs> to get promoted again that second season. And as we started off, the whole first half of the season, we were terrible. I mean, awful the whole way through the first half of the season. And this is so typical of what generally happens, in, not just in soccer, but all across the sporting world. Most coaches wait until something goes drastically wrong and then they decided to do something about it, like bringing in a sports psychologist. And that's exactly what our coach did. And so he brought in this guy called Gavin Drake. And Gavin, essentially what he did for the first couple of days was just observed us. So we're all kind of looking at him quite, you know, he's a bit weird, why have we got this guy looking at us and training? Didn't realize it was the sports psychologist, but we went on, did our training, went through the first day. On the second day he was with us, which was a Friday, just before we were about to leave and go and play the game at the weekend. Gavin then delivered a session and the session, the session was all around focus theory. And what he really described was that there are three ways to focus in any given scenario. And the first way to focus that you can focus, it's not very helpful to do this. It's actually really destructive. And that's to focus on failure. So whatever you're going to do, let's say you're going up to hit a penalty. If you're going up focus and thinking you're going to miss it, you're probably going to hit it over the bar. Keeper's probably going to save it. What's the point of even hitting the penalty? That's the kind of way that some people focus. But I've got to say, Dean, not lots of people are in that first category. The second way you can focus in any scenario is trying not to feel. And this is much more common, especially in, in, in Western society. This is something that we try and do more and more. And you'd think focusing on failure and focusing on trying not to feel, there's a difference. But actually, the way that the brain works, without going too technical into it, the brain works teleologically. And all that means is that whatever you focus on, the brain will lock onto and will just move towards. And then just add in another little layer of this. At a subconscious level, the brain can't tell the difference between a do and a don't. And what I mean by that is if you were sitting in a, I don't know, in a restaurant on a Saturday night and suddenly someone around the table leans in and goes, guys, whatever you do, don't look around now, but so-and-so's just walked in. Now, of course, everybody at the table is going to go, what? Turn around their head. And it's like the brain can't do that don't on a subconscious level. So what Gavin started to explain was really what we need to be doing is to share the way that we want to focus is always in the third option. And that's focusing on success. Because what he then described was that the coaches that we were playing under were saying things like, don't give the ball away. Don't mess it up this time. Don't lose your tackles. Don't lose your, don't miss your headers. Even when we're doing finishing sessions, it'd be like, don't miss a target. Don't head it straight. The, the coaches were telling us every single thing that they didn't want us to do. <laughs> Not through the fault that they were trying to trip us up. They didn't want us to fail, but they weren't even aware because of this very simple psychological principle that they were giving us all of the information 
that was actually setting us up to fail because just a single little maneuver to the side. And instead of focusing on this, we then started focusing on what we did want. So instead of the coach saying, don't give the ball away, it would be pass the man in the same team. Or if you were doing a finishing session, it wouldn't be don't miss the target. It would be hit the bottom corner, put a pass the keeper. All the things that the coaches wanted rather than what the coaches didn't want. And it was quite a light bulb moment for the coaches because you can see that they were looked pretty silly. They just didn't realize that what they were doing wasn't helpful. You know, it's a bit like, you know, run on east as fast as you can and try and find a sunset. It's just never going to happen. So because that little change and all Gavin did was just share the simple principle, we went out the next match and we won that match. After not winning for one game in 11 from the previous 11 matches, we won the game on the Saturday. Then we had a game at home to Southampton on the Tuesday. Our striker, Dean Ashton, who had went on to play for England, hadn't scored for about six or seven games, scored a hat-trick. We then won the next one, and the next one, and the next one. We won five in a row. The manager got manager of the month. I got player of the month. We just seemed to click and form together. And if we had replicated our form in the second half of the season, we would have got promoted as opposed to the form we, we produced in the first half of the season. Now, that for me, Dean, is such a simple principle that anyone can do. The difference is we're almost hardwired and conditioned to tell people what you don't want. And if there are any parents listening, lots of people will probably do it to their kids. If the kid's overdoing something and doing in an area they shouldn't be doing, the first thing will be is stop doing that. Don't do that. And again, the amount of times that we are told up to the ages of about 17 or 18, apparently, not my statistic from the field of psychology, we're actually told about 160,000 times don't do, shouldn't do, mustn't do, as opposed to all the things that we do want. And again, just to help coaches, especially with younger players, but even when it comes to the teenagers, and of course we were professionals, even telling whatever level of player you're at, tell them what you want to do rather than you don't want to do, just because of the way the brain naturally functions, it will make all the difference. As we wrap up, summing that up, you say their focus will change from don't to do and their overall play and confidence will improve as will that of the team as a whole. Focus on the positive. Simply because you're no longer telling your players what you don't want them to do, but encouraging them into doing what you and they do want to do. These are the habits that the elite performers in soccer adopt, habits that focus on success by doing the right things all the time rather than worrying about doing the wrong ones. You end by saying you may never have a Messi or a Ronaldo in your group, but there's nothing to stop you encouraging your players to share the same mindset as those great players, something which might take both you and them a very long way in the game. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you don't have to be the best player to work on this. You know, it's different, and we're not saying take the ball, take it 30 yards from the goal and try and put it in the top corner. You know, this is such a simple fix. It's so easy to apply this. And, and especially because, let's be honest, most of the players who are playing today across all the leagues, across all the levels, across the US, you know, most of them statistically aren't going to get to that professional level. So even if they learn this simple principle for their own lives, imagine going into an exam and instead of focusing on, I hope I don't mess this up, to actually focus on, I just, I've done my prep, I've done my revision, I've done my studying, I'm going to go in and do the best that I can and do what, I, do what I need to do. Even if you were going for, I don't know, a test, an interview, a presentation, whatever, it's, there's so many applications. 
of how you can use this simple psychological principle, whether you use it in sport or whether you use it in your own personal life. I really do think it's a game changer. Check them out at paulmcveigh.com, Paul, M-C-V-E-I-G-H. You can actually download his book, The Stupid Footballer is Dead, on your website. That's right, right, Paul? Yes, please do. Please go on there because, you know, I feel like by this stage, it's not about, you know, trying to make any money from this book. It's all about just trying to share this knowledge that I was so fortunate and privileged that just because I had a little bit of ability to manage to get to the the top of the English footballing system, that to be able to learn from the best of the best in the world, I was so privileged and fortunate to do that. And so I want to share these learnings and absolutely giving it away for free now. Brilliant. And make sure you catch up on his article, focus on the positives on all of the various United Soccer Coaches media outlets. Paul McVeigh, thanks for covering the training ground and focus on the positives on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks, Dean. Really, really appreciate you having me on and good luck. So I'm going to be at Philadelphia in January at the convention and I look forward to seeing you there, my friend. When we return, a quick visit with Anna Witte, who will be covering the NWSL championship game this weekend. Anna Witte, a journalist. She's also been featured before with me on Podcast Row. Anna Witte and NWSL on the bounce. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform. From robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations, League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. As promised, a friend to the association is back with us, Anna Witte. She's actually going to be on the call with Maura Sheridan on Twitch of the NWSL championship game Saturday night. So looking forward to that as Anna Witte joins us. Anna, thanks for being with us. Dean, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be back on the podcast. Saturday's the championship game, Portland and Kansas City. As we all know, a lot of stuff off the field, but on Saturday, we can just celebrate great soccer. Really good season. I mean, 22 matchups for both sides and being able to be in D.C. for the final this season. It should be a really good one. A team that's really established in Portland and a team that's up and coming in Kansas City when it pertains to a club. So it should be a really, really fun one Saturday night. Yeah, you think about how quickly Kansas City has found the promised land, making it to the final. I mean, you talk about committed ownership. They did the right things and here they are. Matt Potter's done an excellent job this season with his side and they Kansas City brought in a, a GM and Cami Levin. They were able to establish new facilities. They're starting to build a new, a new stadium, women's specific stadium in Kansas City. And then this season they've been playing 
at Children's Mercy Park. So it's been a year where players are feeling like everyone's investing in them. And in Kansas City on the field, it it's really paying off. And now that they have some players on the pitch for them that are helping them turn around. And there's also some old players that were there last year who have established relationships. We're starting to see those partnerships play out really well. And here they are in the finals. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, where there's always one moment that kind of tips a team over. And I'm convinced that it was at the convention last year when so many members of the Kansas City Current spent time with Anna Witte on podcast row as you were filling in for me. After that, it's been all sunshine. It's going to be fun to finish the season with Kansas City, but I can't take credit for their success <laughs> at all. But even Kristen Hamilton was there talking with us in Kansas City and how excited she was back in January to be a part of something that's really growing. And you can talk about that until you're blue in the face, but they've really shown that the way that this club and their ownership and their coaches, et cetera, have invested in them, they're they're paying it forward as well. And, and you're certainly seeing that payoff for them this season. Meanwhile, for Portland, a brilliant crowd for their semifinal win Crystal Dunn, who a player we know really, really well, coming off the bench with a beautiful, gorgeous goal, as you said, five months after she gave birth. What a story Portland is. They are loaded. Portland is, is, a, is an established club, and we've seen so many international players on this team, and they understand their principles. Even having a new coach in Rian Wilkinson, who stepped in and said, you know, she's going to play the way she wants to play. And at the beginning of the year, even throughout the Challenge Cup, we saw some of those adjustments, especially the way that Coach Wilkinson wants them to use the wide areas. Some of these players were trying to figure out what that looks like, and now we've seen it really pay off for them. But you talk about Kansas City and everything that they've established off the field as it pertains to just the fan base and what they're doing with the facilities. It really started in Portland and their fandom and and how many people have invested in that club, and it's starting to kind of trickle down to all the other clubs in the NWSL, but Portland certainly leads the way. And a big piece of that is they have so many established players like Christine Sinclair, Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Rocky Rodriguez in the midfield. And then some of these newer players stepping onto the pitch and really meeting the standard of the Florence club. It doesn't hurt to have Sophia Smith up top as well. She is a, no. a nonstop weapon for sure. A really talented team. And I love the fact that, you know, you went to Penn state and there are two Penn state players on Portland really making a difference right now. Rocky Rodriguez with an absolute banger Sunday night against San yeah. Diego, Kansas played Kansas city played oil rain. So yeah, they were talking about after the game, how they see those types of shots and those goals from Rocky throughout training. And I can attest, she did the same thing at Penn State. She just has a really good eye for the goal, but also a really good touch on the ball and really good composure. That really is all it takes towards the end when you're trying to finish a shot like that. But then Crystal Dunn stepping off the bench, getting that goal to solidify their spot in the finals just shows the depth of this Portland team. And that's the biggest thing that we've talked about with Wilkinson all season long is just how many players and that they have to work with, how the starting 11 looks so different every single game. And she even said this week, the starting 11 in the final won't look like it did in the semifinals. And it's hard to plan against a team like that. So I think coach Wilkinson has so many assets, but she even talks about growing them and you touched on Sophia Smith. She wants to see, you know, Smith, she's been nicked a lot this season. She's getting kicked a lot and she, you could see she's frustrated, but she talks about how she wants Smith to find herself in spots where maybe 
she's not drawing as much contact, she's facing up and um, just small details that a club at that caliber who really sets the standard in this league still has things that they want to build on. Portland is kind of a rich, get richer type team because the other Penn State star I want you to talk about is Sam Coffey. You and mm -hmm. I called her games last year and I thought she was the best player in the country and wasn't even a first team All-American. But now Vlatko has recognized it and obviously Portland has recognized it. What a story she is. Coffey is so talented on the field, but I think you even have to start off the field. I've been so impressed with her pre and post game interviews and how collected she is, how she gives really thoughtful answers. She doesn't get confused. And sometimes it can be intimidating to work with players or be on the same team as people who have more experience in those areas at the international level. But she has that confidence and that swagger and she does it her own way. Um, and I think playing in that six role, you, you have to have that. You have to be a, a real leader because you are essentially quarterbacking the team. But I think well-deserved spot um, and the opportunity with the U.S. Women's National Team. I think the ceiling is really high for her. She's a nominee for Rookie of the Year in the NWSL. And normally you don't see sixes win that. But I definitely think that the league um, potentially should have a winner in her because she's just been so consistent. It's so hard to step into a team like Portland and earn a starting spot. But the way that she's been able to do it and do it with so much class um, and help this team get to the finals just is a testament to her. It's so important to keep the focus on the players and the NWSL championship game, which Anna Witte will have the call on Twitch, the international feed. I think that's a great honor for you, Anna. Congratulations on that. But obviously, as a journalist, I do have to ask you about the Yates report. Obviously, there's still work to do. And it's so important because at the end of the day, protecting the players and the players are what makes this league go is so important, Anna. The Yates report was a really good step forward. And we've seen everything that's happened in the past 13 months, starting with the Paul Riley reporting by The Athletic. And I think the uh, players have handled it really well, the way that they've been able to handle the business off the field, also handle it on the field and kind of maybe separate it. I don't know how they really handle that on and off the field, but I think they've done an excellent job. And I think it's a really good step forward, like you said, just this league has handled it and put people or pushed people out of spots that maybe they don't deserve to be in based off information that's found. I think it's just a good step forward for the league and these players deserve to be around people who uplift them, uh, also hold them to the right standard and just uh, are there to make them better players and better people. And it shouldn't be anything else. So a good push, a good start, I guess. Great answer to a question I had to ask, as you know, but now I want to know about your prediction. You'll be on the call Saturday night, so you know these teams really, really well. At the end of the day, who wins the NWSL championship in 2022? I think the NWSL, what's made it so fun this season is just the parody, and you never know who is going to win what game. I would never bet money on this league because <laughs> I would probably lose every single week. I mean, you even think back to, I called the Portland Gotham game. For me, that stands out because Gotham was able to put three goals up against them and uh, Portland wasn't able to win the shield. Like we kind of all predicted they would because they were in the perfect spot to win it. Goes to OL Reign. I think though, you still have to go with Portland because they are so well-established. So many weapons, 15 goals this season, or I'm sorry, 15 goal scores this season. I think eight different players have more than, one goal this season. So they have such a depth on the bench and whenever they want to play their style and set the tempo, we see them have success. But I think 
Yeah, that's who I go with. But, you know, Kansas City has some really good up and coming talent like Luera, who's been able to play so many different positions. They have Hamilton up top, Labonta, who's been excellent in that 10 role for them. I still go with Portland, but I definitely think it'll be a 2-1-3-1 game. Always great to spend time with Anna Witte and Anna as we gear up for the convention, I have not got my full basketball schedule. So if I need you in a pinch, hoping that uh, you can come back to podcast row in Philadelphia. Would love to come back to podcast row. I had an absolute blast in Kansas city. So Philly sounds like a great time too. All right, Anna Woody, always a great time spending it with you. Have a great time on the call that she'll be on Twitch again. Anna Witte calling the NWSL championship game between Portland and Kansas city. Thank you so much for being on the United soccer coaches podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy the game, everyone. Anna Woody went to Penn State, played at Penn State, became a broadcast superstar at Penn State. So we'll end with the head coach of the Penn State men's soccer team, the great, talented, super intelligent, super kind, Jeff Cook. It's not too late to get your program recognized for the 2022-23 season. Register now for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program to enhance your coaching experience with educational offerings, general liability insurance, and awards and rankings eligibility for you and your players. The College Services Program serves to support you and your coaches, recognize your students' amazing efforts on the field and in the classroom, and advocate for meaningful change that protects our coaches and players. Register today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps as we've got both the Rutgers head coach Jim McKeldry on the show and also Jeff Cook, the head coach for Penn State. And of course, Shellis Heinemann, who was just named as an honor award winner for United Soccer Coaches. So we have some big time coaches, more importantly, some big time people, including Jeff Cook now in his fifth season as the top man for Penn State coming off the double, which is impossible to do win the regular season and win the Big Ten tournament. That's what they did last year. Coach Cook, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dean. Good to be with everybody today. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I know that um, you like to look forward. You don't necessarily like to look back, but I'm going to ask you to reflect on winning that double last year. Pretty special, Coach. It was. It's a fantastic memory, of course, and you're, and you're right. We've got a big game tomorrow night on BTN against Rutgers, and it should be a really another exciting conference matchup. But, you know, going back to your, your question, last season was remarkable, but it's important when you think back, it was also a grueling season. And with two games to go, we had to play Maryland at home and go on the road to Wisconsin. And we could have finished anywhere from sixth and we wound up winning the league. So we understand how competitive this conference is, how things swing on a player to each game, right? So it's not like we rolled through and you know, I had my feet up on the desk all season and we just cruised to the Big Ten championship, quite the opposite. So I was really proud of the guys for their resilience and their consistency to achieve the things we were able to last season. It's your story, so I want you to tell it so we get it right, because you had success in college and then decided to jump to the Philadelphia Union, which might be the best MLS club as far as pushing up youth players. I think their record speaks for themselves. But remind everybody where you were, what made mm -hmm. you decide to leave. I think Dartmouth was your last stop after right. some, a stop at Cincinnati as well, and how much you enjoyed the youth game and what drew you back in. Career choices are always difficult 
I'd been at Dartmouth College for 12 years as the head coach and loved, loved it. Loved the college, loved the athletic department. The Ivy League is a really special and unique place to work with student athletes. So that was remarkable. The last four or five years of my time at Dartmouth, Dean, I pursued my UEFA coaching licenses with the Scottish Football Association. I had completed my pro license and was beginning to think a little bit about what was next. And then Richie Graham, one of the principal owners of the union, and, and Tommy Wilson, who became the director of the academy, kind of reached out to me and at that point, if you think back to 2013, the Union Academy was really a vision, and primarily Richie Graham, to create something comparable to what you see around the world in development academies, but also to couple it with YSC Academy, an educational component. And so it was a really exciting project and something that I felt would be unique in the soccer landscape in our country and an opportunity to make an impact. And while it was really difficult to leave Dartmouth and leave college coaching, I think it turned out to be the right choice for me professionally, my family, and an opportunity to be involved and, and make, you know, maybe a small contribution to all the success that that program has had over the years. What was the best part of that time? And what was the part that had you yearning for a possible return to college soccer? I think the best parts were just the people you got to work with and being immersed in a soccer culture. And I was very fortunate, Dean, while I was not officially a first team coach, in the course of my weeks, especially the first couple of years, I could work with U12 players, work with U19 players, and work with the first team players. If you think back to the initial year of the Union Academy that I was a part of, we only had three teams. We had U14, U16, and U18. And you look at it now with multiple age group teams, the Union 2 now, which evolved from being Bethlehem Steel. As you remember, I was on the coaching staff for Bethlehem Steel and the USL Championship the new development of the facilities at the stadium for training and, and youth development as well. The growth has been phenomenal. And so that was really exciting to be part of something new. And then the second best part really briefly was, I feel I grew and developed so much as a coach and got to see the game again from the professional perspective, from the youth perspective, and look at the player pathway continuum that I firmly believe, as you know, we've discussed this many times, I believe that college soccer in this country has a major part to play in that in the pathway. The tough part was it's professional sports. So there was a lot of turnover. There's a lot of change. Some really good friends of mine at different times were not able to continue with their employment. And that's the reality. I know Shellis is well aware of that from his time with FC Dallas and he had a lot of success there. So it's just a hard reality of professional sports is it is a business. And I think that hardened me a little bit to the realities of that world, uh, especially when we started working with Bethlehem Steel and was maybe a little bit more directly involved um, and closer to the first team during the my last sort of two and a half years, Dean. So fabulous experience, stressful at times, but what an opportunity. This is going to be hard because you might be afraid you're going to miss somebody. But <laughs> when you think about some of the players you coach, including several that are on Penn State or were on Penn State and certainly part mm -hmm. of the double, what are some names that come to mind, coach? And there's so many of them. 30, 40 guys that have come through that academy that are playing professional soccer. But there's some fun ones. I mean, gosh, you know, Austin Trusty, who just scored a, a brace for Birmingham City, is on loan from Arsenal. Like he was 15 years old playing our U16s and he could not get a game, didn't play, and wound up going to the U17s. And now he's uh, 150 MLS games and he's the regular starter for Birmingham City in the English Championship. But there's some other ones like that are less visible, like Joey Desart and Jack Skay and midfielders, Jacks with San Jose and, and Joey with Orlando via Wake Forest and North Carolina, respectively. Mark McKenzie, who is just doing a remarkable job in Belgium playing for Genk, center back, you know, that I worked with since he was 13 years old. 
would really want to emphasize, Dean, that in no way was this my superb coaching that created these players. They were part of an environment with nearly 100 people probably contributing to their success in every realm, academically, athletically, emotionally. So I just had a small role to play, but it was a real pleasure to work with some of these guys. Of course, Brendan Aronson with Leeds and the national team doing so, so well. His younger brother, Paxton. I never coached Paxton directly, but he was a, a young up-and-comer. Matt Freeze in goal for the first team as reserve. Matthew Real came on late in the in the playoff game and some of the special ones that have come through Penn State, as you mentioned. So I could be on here for an awful long time and I'm just barely scratching the surface of the number of guys that we've had that have come through and done so, so well. Even your starting lineup again, this will air on Thursday, but on Tuesday I'll have the call for Rutgers and Penn State. That's why we have mm -hmm. Jeff Cook and Jim McKeldry on. Your starting lineup on Tuesday night, which uh, again, this would have aired two days later. How many of those players played for you at the Philadelphia Union, Coach? Chris, there's Femi, Olu Ogunwale, our, our grad transfer from Michigan State, Seth Kuhn, Sean Bettenhausen, Dean, who've come up right now. And then, of course, you know, Danny Blowyou a year ago. You know, joining Jim McKeldry was MD Myers. I feel like you coached him too. Am I wrong on that? Uh, he was a bit younger. I didn't coach him directly, but followed his progress very closely. My good friend and former colleague, Mike Sorber, and I used to admire MD as a young player when he was a little bit like Femi in terms of physically just developing late, but you could see his potential and his quality. You know, you see, I'm sure you've called a bunch of his games this year. You see his movement, his finishing. He's a a handful and a, and a really good player, but I, I won't be happy if he scores tomorrow night, but I'm happy for him, generally speaking, that he's doing so well. Yeah, he scored a lot, 13 goals to lead yep. all Big Ten yep. players and probably yep. the top candidate along with your Peter Mangione to win Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, I would say those are probably one and mm -hmm. two. So you kind of laid the groundwork on your enjoyment at the youth thing, but also being aware I, um, as I tend to do, sometimes embellish stories, and I give Erica Dombach most of the credit for <laughs> pulling you back out and getting you to Penn State. I know it was bigger than Erica Dombach. Who else was involved in the process of getting you to Penn State? And, and Erica Dombach does get some credit, though, right? Yeah, we were both down in Florida, Dean. We were at the USDA with my U19 team. That year was a very good group, actually, that played in that event, and she was coming down, so we just chatted, and you know, Bob Warming had reached out, letting me know he was retiring. Um, not anything about the job, to be, to be clear. And then just coming to campus was probably the thing that made the biggest impact on me. There's always these junctures, I believe, in your career. Gone a long way with Union. As I said, thoroughly enjoyed it. Had a chance to work with John Hackworth, Jimmy Curtin, Tommy Wilson, Ernie Stewart. Loved working with, with Ernie, and he made such a big impact before he, he joined the national team. It started, though, to become like, okay, what's next? What's my next step in terms of my career? And, and Penn State just sort of came up, and it wasn't something that I was actually even putting into my thinking at that time, Dean. And then uh, when I came out here and saw what Penn State represents and what the potential was, and I, I believe still is, it turned out to me to be a career choice. I thought it was too good to be turned down or to, to decline. And share with us your family, your wife, and I don't know how many kids you have, that type of thing, but that discussion about, hey, we're, we're going to do something different here again. Yeah, yeah. No, family has to be really patient and supportive. And we love Philadelphia. We lived in Northwest Philly and a great place to be. So my wife, Christina, is a writer, was working in communications. So she's now part of the Penn State English faculty. Our older son was going into his senior year at University of Pennsylvania, where he subsequently graduated in 2019. His name is Liam. And our younger son, Kieran, was a senior in high school. So we said, we're not going to move you. He was walking to, to school in, in, in our neighborhood in Philadelphia. So 
I got an apartment. We did the three hour commute a little bit, spent five or six days at a time. And we, we just kind of made it work as a family. And now, now fast forward to 2022 and Kieran's a senior in the school of architecture at Penn state. And Liam is working for SpaceX out in California, building a rocket, trying to get to Mars as a mechanical engineer. So proud dad, proud husband. And it turned out to be good for the family. And it, it's tough. You know, I mentioned the stress of leaving a place like Dartmouth. If you've been to Hanover, there's not too many places. I don't think that are nicer places to live and work and raise your family. But the draw of, of coming to be part of the union was something that was great for me and was great for the family. And now we're locked in here at Penn State and we're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to work and build this program to be the best that it possibly can be. A few more minutes with Jeff Cook, the head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions men's soccer team. As he mentioned, they faced Rutgers two days ago on the Big Ten Network, and they'll wrap up their season this weekend and get ready for the Big Ten tournament. They won the double last year, which is really, really hard to do. And as he mentioned, it always comes right down to the very last game on who ends up getting to that final spot. Jeff, what is your message to the young coaches that are listening right now to the United Soccer Coaches podcast about sticking with it? You know, not everybody can open doors and and walk right in and, and get great jobs. It takes a lot of work. Can you just talk about, you know, kind of sticking with it and the work it takes to get to your level? Sure. I love that aspect of coach development and growth in, in the career. I feel a couple of things are essential. First and foremost is sticking to who you are and believing in yourself. I believe it's important not to try and become a carbon copy of Guardiola or Klopp or Jim Curtin or Greg Berhalt or some of these coaches in our country that are great examples, Jesse Marsh. I think you have to be yourself and who you are. And some coaches maybe are rah-rah aggressive and excited. Other coaches may be more cerebral and, and patient and more on the quiet side. Whoever you are, I think you can be successful as long as you stick to who you are and your principles and your values that you bring to working with, with young people. In, in any level that you work. I think the second thing is educating yourself. And that can happen formally, of course, through coaching schools, through attending things like the convention and, and seeing great sessions and, and going to visit clubs and, and teams and colleges and watching training and seeing what happens behind the scenes. Because what you see on game day on a fantastic broadcast on college soccer on BTN, for example, that's only this much of the game. It's a 2%. It's every week showing up for training, every week managing players' emotions, expectations, goals, their academic pressures, all these things. And that leads me to my final thing I would share is I do believe I've gotten better at this over the last five years since I've been at Penn State. This is about relationships. And I think it really is 80% building the team, building your relationships with the players and your staff in the relationships among the teammates themselves directly with inter-team, if that makes sense. 80% of it's that, and 20% is tactics or what system you play or game adjustments. It's about the journey together. And I referred back to the, the chase for the Big Ten Championship and then into the Big Ten Tournament where we were able to be successful in both. The tightness of the team and the desire to be together, that was what drove us. I'd love to say that, yeah, this halftime, I made this great adjustment and, you know, it was all tactics, as we call it. We joke chess on grass, right? It wasn't that. It was desire. It was togetherness. It was fight to the end, opportunistic, and try and make a play in a key moment. And, and I think that is for young coaches what the journey is about and surrounding yourself with good people and, and going to, you know, a good mentor is super helpful. We have coaches visit us here at Penn State. Our training sessions are always open, especially in the spring. Even some of our games, we say, come on in and 
hear what we say to the team. You know, I think, I think those are some good things to, to think about as you, as you go forward in your career. As you know, Sasso Swarovski has been out front on the 21st century model on previous games as you dealt with injuries on a team that has been decimated by injuries and a team that lost a lot of big time talent that has moved on to Major League Soccer. I feel like you're stepping up with your voice on the thought of a 21st century model. I hope so. I think when you look at it, you have to number one, it's what's in the best interest of the student athletes and the players. And I know there are some out there, Dean, who think, well, if we if we do it over two semesters, it'll make our lives harder. It'll be busier. I actually think the opposite is true. I was actually talking to Christina about this over coffee this morning, right after I uh, was doing some prep work and the pace of life as a USL coach or a, a, even a, a U19 coach in Major League Soccer's academy system, it's busy and it's a long season, but the rhythm is more open. There's more time to breathe. Uh, last weekend prepping for for Rutgers, I was literally sitting uh, when my family was watching a movie and I was sitting with earphones on my laptop, you know, watching Rutgers, Michigan State, Rutgers, Michigan. And you get up in the morning and the pace, that's just me as the coach, never mind the physical demands on, that the game puts on our players, the academic pressure of missed class time, that would all be eliminated by the split season model, 21st century model which would allow, I think, for better health for the student athletes in every regard. Number two, I think it would also create a better product because I think the players who fans want to see, I'll pick Andrew Privet this year, who's been suffering from repeated ankle injuries. He just doesn't have enough time in between games to recover and allow that injury to really fully recover to then go and play. I think the game quality can go up. It's not the most important part. The most important part is health and welfare, without a doubt and academic, relieving some of the academic pressure that our student athletes feel. And I do think it's unique to men's and women's soccer, and it's unique to the fall semester and the pace that we demand of these student athletes, I think is unfair. Jeff Cook, thanks for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and good luck down the stretch. Thanks so much, Dean. Great being with you. Great to tell you, Jeff Cook and Jim McKeldry, as I called their game Tuesday just a couple days ago. And I do want to remind you that Jim McKeldry and Rutgers will take on UCLA Saturday at noon. I'll be on that call with former Northwestern coach Tim Lenahan. I want to thank all of our amazing guests and the great people at United Soccer Coaches like Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen, and the entire gang, as well as my producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gabs. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gabs. Lee Gabs is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about Lee Gabs, find them at leagueapps.com or as Lee Gabs on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.